Hey, good morning, Bridge family. Everybody doing all right today? Nice. It's good to see you. You got a little quiet on us for a minute there, but it's awesome just being in the presence of God this morning. Anybody enjoy communion together during our time of worship? So good. That was new and fun for us, and we're excited to continue doing that. Hey, we just want to let you know that we're glad that you are here today, first and foremost, especially if you are new. If this is your first time at the bridge or you're newer to the church, we're so glad that you're here today. You know, we really believe very strongly that anybody who calls himself a Christian, a follower of Christ, man, we need to be plugged into the local church, really just finding community within the household of faith. So if you are here today, we believe that God wants you to be planted in the house of God. If that is here at the bridge, that's awesome. We want to partner with you and do life and ministry together. So we're glad that you're here. And if you're wondering how you take your next steps here at the bridge, Connecting Point is your very next step. It happens two weeks from today. That's the first weekend of September, and it's happening during the 1130 service. You answer a lot of questions about the church, tell you a little bit about the history and the heartbeat of the bridge. But more importantly, this is our opportunity to meet you and just help you get plugged in here in church life because we're glad that you are here and we want to help you find your place. It's super important to us that you register if you want to join us at Connecting Point. So just go to the Bridge app or our website, click on the Connect tab. There you can register to come to Connecting Point and we will help you get plugged in into church life. We are very, very glad you're here today. Hey, Bridge family, can we put our hands together and welcome all of our guests to church today? Awesome. Hey, we're finishing up a little two-part series this week called Be Loved and be loved, be loved, and be loved. And we've been looking at 1 John chapter 4, and this is a, a passage of scripture, a chapter that gives us so much understanding of what the love of God looks like to us, and then how God wants to get the love of God through us to the world around us. And I want to just very quickly recap, and I'm going to read the passage of, of scripture that we looked at last week, because we have to understand those before we can go forward in this passage. So let me read to you real quick, but before we do that, let me just give this thought to you. If you want to write this down, if you weren't here last week, I really encourage you to go back and listen to the message because I felt like it was super helpful and just practical on what it means to receive the love of God and to give it away. But here's the key thought I want to give you at the outset of the message. I cannot give away, I cannot distribute the love of God until I have first embraced the love of God for myself. I can't give the love of God to anyone else until I have first understood and embraced the love of God for myself. We talked about that last week. Let's go a little bit further. This is what we read last week, 1 John chapter 4, starting in verse 7. It says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. The one who does not love does not know God. Why? Because God himself is Love. Verse 9 says, By this the love of God was revealed in us, that God has sent his only Son into the world so that we may live through him. And in this love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. That's the sacrifice given for the atonement of our sins. Verse 11 says, So, beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God remains in us, and his love is perfected in us. Now, one of the first things we did last week is we talked about the different words for love that we get in the New Testament, but most importantly, this word agape, which talks about the sacrificial, self-sacrificing, self-giving love of God. That's the love he has extended to us, and it's the same kind of love he wants us to give to the world around us. 
As human beings, especially as Americans, English-speaking Americans, we tend to think of love as these emotional responses, and we have one word love for all these different expressions of love in English. But here, when we talk about the love of God, we're talking about a love that transcends our emotions and our physical experiences. This is the self-sacrificing, self-giving love of God given through Christ to us. And I can't understand what it means to give it away until I have first embraced it for myself. And we also talked about how every time we see that word beloved, it's an interesting word in the New Testament. And when that word shows up, it's a word that's kind of self-defining. That word beloved kind of spells out its own definition. Beloved means to be loved. So every time we see that word in the New Testament, it's a reminder of the love that's already been given to us from God through Jesus. And the three quick thoughts that we talked about last week in the message were, first of all, God needs me to understand that before he asks me to love anyone else, he loved me first. Can somebody say amen to that this morning? Before God asks me to love anyone else, he loved me first. And it's so important that we get that because God would not ask us to do something for someone else that he has not first done for us. Man, it's amazing to know that before God asks me to love you, God has already loved me. Before God asks you to love me, that can be hard. He's already loved you. He's not asking any of us to do anything he hasn't already done first. The second thought that we talked through, number two, was my love for others is the proof that I myself know God. Scripture says everyone who loves is born of God, speaking of our salvation and regeneration, and knows God. The word there is gnosko. That doesn't just mean to know about God. It doesn't just mean to know the Bible. It means to know God intimately, personally, as my loving Heavenly Father. So my love for others is the proof that I myself know God. I've embraced his love for me, that sacrificial love, and I start to give it away, and others know that it's a different kind of love that's motivating me. It's the self-sacrificing love of God living inside of me. And the third thought that we talked about was God's love is perfected in my imperfect hands. God's love is perfected in my imperfect hands. God is really risky when he takes his perfect love and gives it to me and says, give this away, because as human beings, we have the tendency to sometimes mess it up. We take the perfect love he's given us and we don't give it away the way that he gave it to us. We have requirements, we have conditions. We want people to accept it right when we give it away, but it doesn't always work like that. But God isn't asking us to be responsible for how people receive the love of God. He's simply asking us as believers to give it away. So that's what we talked about last week, and I want to go a little bit further today in this passage of Scripture and look further at what John is talking about here. So let's continue on and see what else he has to say here in this passage. Look with me at verse 14. John writes, we have seen and testify that the Father has sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. Now he's starting to talk about salvation a little bit. Verse 15, whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God remains in him and he in God. Verse 16, we have come to know and have believed the love which God has for us. God is love. And the one who remains in love remains in God and God remains in him. Now, Right here, John's reaffirming a lot of what he's already written about this love of God that lives within us, the sacrificing love of God. If we take that sacrificial love that's given to us and give it away, give it, away it is the proof that God remains in us and that we are remaining in him. But I want you to notice what happens next because John has talked a lot about love and how we receive it 
and how we give it away. God gives it to us, but he wants to get it through us. He spends a lot of time developing this, but when we read on in the passage, this is when it starts to get a little bit heavy. Look at verse 17. John writes, by this, love is perfected with us. Everybody say perfected. By this, love is perfected with us so that we may have confidence. Everybody say confidence. Confidence in the day of judgment. Because as he is, we also are in this world. Now, Right there, John shifts gears from just talking about the love of God to us and through us, and now he starts to talk about confidence on a pretty heavy day. That is the day of judgment. You know, when we see that phrase, the day of judgment, there in Scripture, there's a lot of New Testament context to be given to that. And man, we could do an entire series on that. And I'll just tease this. I didn't ask for permission to do this, but I want to let you guys know, in a At some point in the next few, maybe even starting next Sunday, Pastor Gary is going to start walking through the book of Revelation a little bit over these next few weeks. I really want to encourage you to be here when he does because we're going to be talking about things that are happening in our world and what we see in Scripture that gives us guidance and clarity on the things that are happening in the world today. But when we see this phrase, the day of judgment, man, that can sound scary. Is anybody with me on that? I mean, you just kind of stop and think for a moment about, wow, the day of judgment, the day of judgment, where we stand before God, that can sound really scary, yet John says that we can stand confidently on the day of judgment. Now, let's talk about that for just a moment, and again, we're not going to spend a lot of time talking about the scriptural specifics of the day of judgment, but let me give you one picture that I think is helpful so that we can go forward in looking for confidence and walking confidently forward in Christ. In Revelation chapter 20, we see a picture of the judgment throne, or the white throne of judgment, as it's called in Revelation chapter 20, where everybody who's ever lived or died will stand before God and give an account for their lives, okay? That is in Scripture. It's important to understand that. And let me reaffirm it. We'll talk about it more in a moment. Every single one of us will give an account for how we have lived our lives, and we will stand before the judgment seat of God. But John says we can do that confidently. Scripture says in Revelation 20 that there are books essentially books of deeds that record our lives and our actions, and then there is a book, singular book, that's called the Lamb's Book of Life. And what Scripture tells us, and this is giving a very compact explanation of this, is that when all of these people stand before the great white throne of judgment one day, there will be books, multiple books, opened up that tell the deeds of our lives. And if we have not committed our lives to Christ, and if we are not found in him having put faith in Jesus Christ and experienced salvation, we will be judged according to our deeds. But then scripture goes on and says, then the other book was opened, and if your name was found in the Lamb's book of life, then you would not be judged according to your your deeds, you would be judged according to Christ's sacrifice. That's good news. That's really good news this morning. Because here's the deal, every single one of us, in fact, let's just go forward, let me give you a few thoughts on the judgment of God, okay? If you want to write these down real quick, write these down, because these will be helpful and hopeful, okay? Not dreadful and full of intimidation and fear, helpful and hopeful, all right? A few quick thoughts about the judgment of God. Number one, all of us will stand before God and give an account for our lives. All of us are going to stand before God and give an account for our lives. That's the first thought. Here's the second thought. The only hope I have for spending eternity with God is by making Jesus my Lord and my Savior. 
The only hope I have for spending eternity with God when this life comes to an end is by making Jesus my Lord and my Savior. Now, for a lot of you that have been walking with God for a while, you're like, Zach, you're preaching to the choir right now. I already know that. I already understand that. But here's, I want to say two things about this. A lot of us are very, very good at making Jesus our Savior, but we stop short of making him the Lord of our lives. The master of our lives. And at the risk of sounding cheesy, it's like handing over the wheel to Jesus and saying, I won't say the phrase, take it, you know. Handing over the reins of our life and saying, okay, lead and guide this thing. I'm on board with where you want to take me. I will follow your lead. I'll follow your commands. And it's not about pleasing God through our actions. It's about accepting his sacrifice and allowing him to become the leader and the master of our lives. Can I encourage you with something this morning? A lot of people want to get stuck on these big theological conversations of what, can you lose your salvation, can you walk away from it, this and that and the other. I don't think it's appropriate for us to get lost in these big theological arguments, but I will say this. The only way that I can know with everything inside of me that I will be confident when I stand before God one day is if I have experienced salvation and I've surrendered everything in my life to him. If I've done that, what do I have to worry about? Rather than ask the question, should I be worried, why not approach God and say, I'm going to make sure that I'm not worried because I've given you everything. Does that make sense to everybody this morning? The only way I can be confident when I step into eternity is if I have made him not just my Savior, but the Lord of my life. That will challenge us every day of our lives. But guess what? If we'll submit, surrender, and obey, man, God will walk us into the best things that he has for our lives. Amen? The third thought talking about the day of judgment is simply this. John adds here that I can stand confidently before the throne of God if I have been a good representative. Listen to this. He adds this. If I have been a good representative of the love of God to the world around me. Now, let's be clear about something. It's not my deeds or my actions that save me, but I can stand confidently before God if I have expressed and distributed that same love of God that he distributed to me. What a thought that is. One of the things that gives me confidence is God gave me so much love. He gave me so much grace. He gave me so much mercy. So what did I do with it? I didn't just sit there and take it for myself and not give it away. No, I gave it away liberally to those around me. I expressed that same kind of love. So therefore, I can stand confidently before God. And let me just add this very quickly because it says at the end of verse 17 there, it says, We can be confident in the day of judgment because as he is, we also are in this world. The mission statement of the Bridge Church is from 2 Corinthians 5, which talks about we are Christ's ambassadors. This passage right here is literally speaking about how we have surrendered lordship of our lives to Jesus and we are as he is in this world. That doesn't mean that I'm always perfect and that I always get it right and that I don't make mistakes. What it simply means is this, while I am here on earth, I have acted as an ambassador of the kingdom where I have my main citizenship. Can I tell you something? If you are a citizen of the kingdom of God, a follower of Jesus Christ, this earth is not your eternal home. And while we are here, we are representatives of another kingdom. How many know that if you gave somebody your ability, the ability to sign checks on your behalf, power of eternity, to go and speak for you and be a representative on your behalf, that you would want to make sure that you could trust that person and that they were truly speaking on your behalf? Can I tell you something? God wants to make sure that he can trust us on this earth to be good representatives of his kingdom. He wants us to be true ambassadors of the kingdom of God while we are living here on this earth, okay? So as he is, we also are in this world, this world. But let's go back and talk about this word confidence for a minute. 
This word confidence, we can stand in confidence, or maybe your Bible says boldness, on the day of judgment. Let's talk about that word for a minute, because in the Greek, this word is the word parousia, and it appears in a few, di- a few different forms throughout the New Testament, but there's one really great place where we see an amazing parallel of this, this idea of standing in confidence and parousia and boldness before God. Go with me this morning for a few moments, sidebar, to Acts chapter 4, okay? Let's go to Acts chapter 4. Now, if you know your Bible pretty well, in Acts chapter 2, we see the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. We see the birth of the church. Peter gives this amazing message. He calls forth people to be saved. And the scripture tells us that at least 3,000 people come into the kingdom of God that day, and the church of Jesus Christ is born. If you go past Acts 2, in Acts chapter 3, Peter and John are walking to the temple one day, and they encounter a lame man. And scripture says that this lame man sees Peter and John walking by. And as they walk by, he reaches out asking for help. He's begging them and asking them for alms. And it's in this passage that Peter looks back at him and says, Silver and gold I do not have, but what I do have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ, take up your mat and walk. And the man gets up and miraculously is healed right then and there. And as soon as this thing happens, it sends the community into a frenzy. Because they're wondering, how did they do this? How was this man healed? This is a miraculous sign, a miraculous ministry that we've seen. Who did this? And what name, under what authority were they able to do this? And then we even see Peter from there go forward. And he begins to preach boldly there in Solomon's colonnade. And people are converted. And some people question and they don't know what's going on. Some people, the religious people especially, they get upset. And they're like, what's going on? When you arrive at Acts chapter 4, we see that Peter and John are arrested for what they've done. And they've preached boldly the name of Jesus. So they're taken before this this council, if you will, called the Sanhedrin. And this was a Jewish-Israeli council where they brought forth people, especially those who were committing some sort of religious crime, as they would say. And so they stand before this council, and they begin to ask Peter and John, under what authority and in whose name did you perform this miracle? And nobody is denying that they performed a miracle, that God did something. But they can't quite understand what's happened. And Look at the way Peter responds when he's asked about what happens. Look at this, Acts 4, and in verse 12. See some really cool parallels here. Verse 12 says, And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven that has been given among mankind by which we must be saved. So look at Peter standing up in front of this council. These people hold his life and his future, his freedom in their hands, and boldly he proclaims the name of Jesus as the only way in which you can be saved. And the reason I bring this up is, you know, last month, Pastor Paul Reed was here with us from the UK, and he talked about this transformation that Peter had from the day that he denied Christ right before Jesus goes to the cross, and the day that he stands up boldly in front of all these people and proclaims the name of Jesus, and the church is born. And he talked about how the Holy Spirit empowered Peter to go and step into the purpose that God had for his life. Well, right here, we see that same Peter who had once denied Christ, now empowered by the Holy Spirit, not just preaching to people to be saved. He's standing before a council of judgment. And they're saying, in what name and under what authority are you doing this? And he says, we've done this in the name of Jesus, the one that you crucified. And it's that name. No other name was given unto heaven, under heaven and earth by which man can be saved except for the name of Jesus, full of the Spirit, he testifies boldly. And look what it says next in verse 13 about the Sanhedrin and this council. Now, as they observed the confidence or the boldness, there's that same Greek word, parousia, 
of Peter and John and understood that they were uneducated and untrained men. They were amazed. And they began to recognize them as having been with Jesus. Now, when it says that they recognized them as having been with Jesus, no doubt there were people that could look back when they heard their testimony and visually rec- remember, oh, yeah, those were the guys that walked with Jesus. I remember seeing them with him, that one that was crucified. I remember hearing about Jesus. I remember seeing those guys with Jesus. But now when they have stood before this council, what have they done with their lives? After speaking boldly and seeing the church born, they took the love that was given to them, that has now empowered them, and sacrificially, they are giving it away boldly because they are no longer afraid of judgment. They are no longer afraid about what anybody's going to do. And they stand in this moment of judgment where, again, these, these people on this council, these men on this council, they hold their liberty and their freedom and their future in their hands, but yet they're not afraid to tell the truth about what Jesus has done for them. And it says they were amazed at the boldness, at the confidence. Now, I want to take that, and I want to draw the parallels for a moment about what we were just reading from in 1 John 4. Because in Acts 4, they stand before a council of men who can judge them right then and there and hold their future in their hands. But guess what? One day we are all going to stand before God who holds our eternity in his hands. That's a whole lot more humbling. But John says that we can step into that moment with confidence, with parisia. Why? Because I've experienced and I've embraced the love of God for myself. And while I was here on this earth, man, I didn't always get it right all the time. I wasn't always perfect, and I sometimes made mistakes. But at every opportunity I had, I took the the love that God gave me, that agape, sacrificial love, and I gave it away. And on this day that I stand before God, I know that I did everything I could to be a great representative of him and his kingdom on this earth. Look at the amazing parallel that we see here, and it all comes from that one word that we see in common between the two passages. Peter and John received that love, They gave it away, and now they stand confidently before this council, even though they could be judged. Now, let me give you a few thoughts from this picture real quick, and I think are very important. So if you want to take notes and write these down, just two or three quick things to hold on to. Okay, number one, it is God's will that we one day stand before him with confidence. God doesn't want us to arrive at the day of judgment and stand there sheepishly worried about what the outcome is going to be. He wants us to get there, and he wants us to be bold, and he wants us to be confident. In fact, when you look at the original writings and see what this word parisia really means, it literally means the boldness to speak freely. Now here today, I feel pretty confident and bold about speaking freely to you, but then I stop and think about that day that I stand before God. And that leads me to the next thought. There's a big, big difference between confidence and arrogance. Everybody with me this morning? There's a big, big difference between confidence and arrogance. And I just jotted a few thoughts down. See, nobody will stand arrogantly before God. Did you catch that? Nobody will stand arrogantly before God. I have this picture in my mind, and this is silly, I know, but I imagine, uh, you know, when you go to the doctor or the dentist and there's a waiting room, you know, it's such a wonderful place that they actually called it a waiting room. It's not, you're about to see the doctor room. It's the waiting because everybody just loves to wait. 
But I love this picture of being in the waiting room and you're sitting there and maybe you grab a magazine off of the table and like that door is closed, but there's just some kind of light that's coming underneath that bottom crack in the door. There's just some kind of light that's coming through. And you're sitting there thinking, man, this is going to be a breeze. I'm about to go in there and stand before God arrogantly. And as soon as that door opens and that light of God's glory appears, you walk in and suddenly your arrogance disappears. Because you're standing in the presence of almighty, righteous, holy God. And I'll tell you something, we might approach God arrogantly at times, but one day when we stand before God at that great day of judgment, and none of us are going to be arrogant in that day because we will be humbled by the righteousness and the holiness of Almighty Father God when we get there. Nobody will stand arrogantly before God. We will all be in awe and reverence of His glory. But the way that we stand confidently, not arrogantly, the way that we stand confidently before the judgment throne of God isn't through arrogant arrival, but through a life of humble sacrifice, or as John says over and over, agape love. So I give my life to Christ. He's my savior. I surrender lordship of my life. He becomes my master. I take the love that he has given to me, that sacrificial, self-sacrificing, agape love. I receive it for myself, understanding the price that Christ paid, and then I humbly walk through life laying my life down as well. If I do all of those things to the very best of my ability, I arrive at that one day where I can stand confidently knowing I've done my part. I did everything I could. I'm not worried. I'm confident because I did what God has asked me to do. And the the third thought here, I love the way James writes this in James 4. Scripture says that God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. I'll tell you what, I don't ever want our church to be a church of arrogant believers. I would love to see our church always be a church of humble servants who just lay their life down for the world around us. Let's never be an arrogant church. Let's never be the ones who are walking around, well, I got God and the Bible and Christianity all figured out over here. No, no, no. We are literally called to lay our lives down for the amount of time that we are on this earth. And the amount of time we have on this earth is really small compared to the length of eternity, which has no end. Can I tell you something? The life that we have on this earth, no matter what we amass, what we achieve, what we build, or what we want people to think about us, isn't a very big deal when you take it and you put it under the shadow of God's greatness. Life is short, eternity is long. Let's not be arrogant. Let's be humble servants who simply walk around giving away the agape love of Christ and sacrifice. Amen? All right, now, I love those parallels between 1 John 4 and Acts 4, but in the time we have remaining, let's go back to 1 John 4 and wrap up here through this passage of Scripture. I love the way that John writes this. Look again, verse 18, famous verse of Scripture. There is no fear in love, But perfect love drives out or casts out, your Bible might say, it casts out fear. Because fear involves punishment. And the one who fears is not perfected in love. There's that word perfected again. Let's talk about this. This verse of scripture, there is no fear in love, for perfect love casts out or drives out all fear. This is another one of those Bible verses for me throughout my life that I have read it at face value without looking at the full context of scripture. How many people just know that phrase from scripture, perfect love casts out all fear? How many people know that when you're familiar with it? What we tend to do sometimes with scripture is we take it and apply it to broad settings when it's not necessarily speaking of a simple truth about the character of God. Right here, what John is doing is he is talking literally about the judgment of God and how we don't have to be afraid of it if we have walked and lived in the love of Christ. He's talking within the context of judgment. So again, he says there's no fear in love Because perfect love 
drives out or casts out fear because fear involves punishment and the one who fears is not perfected in love. Now, I like that word perfect because we talked about it last week from verse 12 of this passage. It says that the love of God is perfected in us when we give it away, when we live lives of agape love. But it took me a while to understand what this passage of scripture is really saying. What this passage was really saying is that that perfect love of God that's given to me, it's not brought into full completion until I take what's been given to me and then I give it away. When I give it away, that love of God is perfected or completed because I did something with it. See, the love of God or knowing that God is love, by definition and by nature, it's self-giving and self-sacrificing. It's not selfish only to be embraced for me. It's self-sacrificing to be given away. So when we talk about the judgment of God, we have to understand that that love is perfected after I've given it away, and it's that perfect love that's been brought into completion that casts out any fear when I go and I stand before God. Now, go on and look at verse 19, and this is where we're going to conclude today in these next three verses. John says, we love because he, God, through Christ, first loved us. Watch these strong words. Verse 20, if someone says, I love God, yet hates their brother or sister, they are a liar. How many people like being called a liar? Because it doesn't just speak to your deed, it speaks to your character, right? Nobody likes to be called a liar, but if we say that we love God, yet hate our brother or sister, in God's sight, We're lying because even if we give lip service to the world around us, God knows the truth about what's in our heart. So I can tell you, brother, sister, I love you, but I'm holding this grudge in my heart toward you because of something that I perceive you've done or maybe you did do to me and I develop hatred or offense or whatever else it might be. And if I hold on to that, but I just sit back and smile and wave and tell you how much I love you, in God's eyes, I'm a liar even if you think I'm not. We can fool the world around us, but God always knows the truth. Amen? So let's read on. For the one who does not love his brother and sister, whom he has seen, who we see with our own eyes, cannot love God, whom we have not seen. And finally, in verse 21, in this commandment we have from him, from God, that the one who loves God must also love brother and sister. So our call is not just to love God. God, I see what you've done for me, so God, I love you, I will walk with you, and me and you, we're gonna do this life together. But if my response to my loving God is to turn around and have hatred toward anybody in my life, I've missed the point and I'm a liar before God. If I'm gonna say that I love God, I have to take the same love that he's given me, sacrificial, self-sacrificing, self-giving love as seen at the cross, and I have to turn around and do the exact same thing for the world around me. Conclusion this morning, I was really excited about this day to partake partake of communion at communion stations, give everybody time and space and freedom to partake of communion during our time of worship. I love partaking of communion when the presence of God is in this room. I told my wife, I was so excited, I told my my wife last, last night, whenever it was, I said, hey, do you wanna take communion with me tomorrow during worship? And I just got so excited about that moment because there's just something holy and special about it. 
I'll tell you what, we can come to these moments of communion where we look at the covenant relationship that we are in with God and we say, God, I thank you for what you've done and I receive your love. And in this act of obedience where I partake of communion, I'm reaffirming this covenant and I'm saying thank you and I love you. But then I can turn right around, go back to my seat and my very next thought or my very next breath, I can think about all the people that I'm harboring offense or unforgiveness or hatred toward. And if I find myself in that moment and any of those thoughts come up in my heart or in my head, I have to go back and reconsider just how genuine I was when I partook of communion earlier. Does everybody follow me this morning? I told you a story last week about something that God was doing in my heart when we had our teacher celebration. I was really grateful for Pastor Nick because he reminded me that in first service, if you were here in the 930 last week, I didn't really finish that story. <laughs> Our teacher celebration day went so good. It was amazing, the responses. In fact, we've gotten emails all week from teachers, administrators, principals, just saying thank you so much for everything that the church did at teacher celebration. And not only that, there was not a single negative report of anything going sideways on any of those campuses. It was a great day. And man, God worked on my heart that morning as we were there because I realized there's something amazing about just giving away the love of Christ and taking away any expectation of anybody else. Just saying, here, here it is, here it is, here it is. It's up to you what you do with it, here it is, right? But God had to work on my heart. As soon as we got done with service last week, I must have talked to five people after service that came up to me here in the lobby and gave me a specific story about, I'm dealing with this difficult situation, and my first response is anger. My first response is to fight. My first response is to resist. My first response is to go against and give my opinion and give them an earful and tell them what I think. But I felt like before I could even walk out of the doors of church today, it was like God was saying, no, 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 no. What did I give you? I gave you my son who laid his life down in simple sacrifice. If you want them to know the love of God, which you say you live your life by, don't go give them an earful. Lay your life down the same way that Jesus did for you. I must have had four or five different people that come up and gave me a specific example. This week, I had people text me, emailing me, telling me the examples of things happening in their life. Where like, it was like I came to church and God said, reconsider what you're about to do because that's not what I did for you. This morning as we partook of communion, I believe with all my heart that everybody who intentionally took a moment to search your heart, come to the table and partake of communion, I really believe that everybody did that genuinely. And I believe that God honors that. But I wanna tell you in this moment, I was reminded that if I tell God I love him with all my heart, yet I'm harboring something against somebody in it, scripture says I'm a liar. You know what? I want to stand confidently before God one day. I don't want to step up before him saying, God, you knew the truth. I told people one thing and I gave them lip service and I put on this good face, but he knew something else. And therefore, when I stand before him, I'm not confident because I didn't do for others what he did for me. And I just want to ask if we can have a holy moment right here at the conclusion of our service. I didn't really know how God might lead my heart in this moment, but I'm just going to throw out three things to everybody. And I want to ask everybody if you would search your heart for just a moment and consider any of these things. Because I believe if I were to ask the question, do you love God? Do you want to live a life that's pleasing to God? Everybody in the house today would say, yeah, Zach, that's me. That's me. I want to do that. But maybe you're here today and you're harboring some kind of offense, something that's happened to you, something that you perceive that has happened to you, something that you're convinced or you think somebody has done to you. 
And here's the crazy thing. Sometimes with offenses, we don't even know, or the person who we're holding offense with, they might not even know that they've offended us, but we harbor this offense, and it creates distance, and we sit back in judgment, and sometimes that offense gets worse, and it becomes hatred towards somebody else. And I know the way we have to deal with offense is with forgiveness, but can I just say something? Sometimes we walk up to people and we ask them for forgiveness and they don't even know that they've wronged us. Sometimes the best way for us to deal with offense is just to walk up to somebody that we've created distance from and just say, I'm sorry. Is there anybody in the house this morning that when you search your heart and you think about what's going on inside of it, is there anybody you just need to go to and say, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I don't know if I was wrong or if you were wrong, but there's a distance here and I'm not comfortable with it anymore. I can't say that I love God with all of my heart when I sit back knowing there's distance between us because I'm harboring offense. A lot of you know this, that word offense, when we see it in the New Testament, the Greek word is scandal on, it's like a trap or a snare. Man, when we allow offense to creep in, it's like we put our foot in that trap and life moves forward for everybody else, but we stay here stuck in our offense. Maybe you're here today and you feel like you are stuck in an offense and you say, God, I love you. And God says, yeah, but what about that thing you're holding on to, that grudge, that offense? It's time to say I'm sorry. It's time to ask for forgiveness. It's time for you to forgive somebody else. What about just simple unforgiveness? What if there's somebody who's hurt you and because of the hurt that they've poured out into your life, you are harboring unforgiveness in your life. This person is not even going to receive your forgiveness. Can I tell you something? It's not up to you what they do with it. It's up to you to give it away. Because as it's been said, unforgiveness is like drinking poison and expecting somebody else to die. And if you're sitting here today with unforgiveness in your heart, Scripture makes it so clear. Jesus said it in Matthew 6, Sermon on the Mount. He said, if we don't extend forgiveness to others, our Heavenly Father will not extend forgiveness to us. God, I love you. God, I'm for you. I want my life to be all about you. And God says, yeah, but what about all those people that you haven't forgiven? Don't you remember that freely, sacrificially, I've forgiven you? We've got to be willing to give forgiveness to those who might have hurt us. And then finally, I'm going to use a really heavy word right here, but what about just simple hatred? Have you grown so offended with somebody that you just begin to hate them? Social media is like the worst thing ever. I hardly ever tweet, but I have a Twitter account because it's pure entertainment, right? One day, I think it was just recently, I was sitting at the breakfast table with my family on my day off and I'm scrolling through Twitter and I'm seeing things that politicians and media people are putting on Twitter and I literally told my wife, I said, I hate that person. And she looks at me, she looks at me and she says, why do you go on there? But I began to realize that what I do is I will allow offenses to creep up in my heart because of things that people say that I don't agree with or that I don't like and it leads me to this point of hatred. I know that's a strong word. Some of you are like, Zach, you're my pastor. Listen to me. All of us can allow this to happen in our lives. And if we've reached a place we couldn't possibly forgive somebody, maybe it's because it's amounted to hatred in our hearts, and God wants to deal with that. You say that you love me? What did I give for you, and what did I ask in return? I gave Jesus freely, as Pastor Nick said, while you were sinners. I died for you. Don't allow offense and unforgiveness to turn into hatred. And if you feel like that's built up in your heart and it's hardened your heart towards somebody, man, it's time we stop and said, 
God, help me. I forgive this person. You might not even be able to reach out and tell them, but maybe you need to release forgiveness and tell God, God, I don't want this. I want to say that I love you and I want to mean it because you know the truth. Everybody receive that this morning? Can we pray right now? Father, I thank you so much for the love that you've extended to us. God, you have asked us to extend that same love to others and in doing so, not putting conditions on how people respond and receive it. So freely we take what you've given us. We embrace your love. We are loved, the beloved of God in Christ Jesus. Freely we've received, so freely we give away that same love, that same forgiveness. God, I pray right now today, if there are some of us that need to forgive, we would choose to forgive. If it means a text, a phone call, a conversation, an email, whatever it might be, that we would forgive. If we're harboring offense, God, that we would apologize. We would be the first one to say, I'm sorry. I say I love God. I want to make sure that I'm expressing it in the way that I love others. And then finally, in any way, if there's hatred in my heart towards somebody or anybody or anything, I pray, God, that you would soften my heart today. Allow me to repent, to pray for those that I might be in opposition with, to lay my life down for them as well so that they see the same love of Christ that was given to me. In Jesus' name. With heads bowed and eyes closed just for one more moment, Maybe you're here today and you know about the love of God or you've heard about the love of God, but you don't know just how much God loves you. God loves you so much that he sacrificially gave his very best in exchange for your very worst. He gave Jesus for your sin and my sin in hopes that you and I would come into relationship with him by accepting what Jesus did. If you've never come into relationship with God by saying yes to Jesus, I just want to give you an opportunity right now to do that. We're gonna pray a prayer together right here as a church family. It's not about magic words. It's about the commitment in my heart and the confession of my mouth. Scripture tells us if we do those things, we shall be saved. If we can start a relationship with God and allow him to be our savior and become the Lord of our lives. I wanna invite everybody into this moment right now, but if you want Jesus to become the Lord of your life, would you mean this with everything inside and pray this prayer right out loud? Say, Jesus, I thank you for going to the cross for me. I believe that your death was full payment for my sin. And I believe that you were raised from the dead to give me a new life. So today I put my faith in you and my trust in you. From this day forward, I will follow you into eternity. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Hey, listen, we're gonna be done with service here in about two minutes. And this might be the most important moment in our service. So everybody hang tight until the conclusion of service, just in honor of people that made decisions today, okay? If you made a decision to follow Christ, we want to help you start your journey of faith because this is not the end, it is the beginning. After service, we're going to have some prayer teams that will be right down here near the front of the platform. You can walk up to one of our prayer teams, let them know you made a decision to follow Christ, and they will give you a free gift called The Next Seven Days. It's just a simple book that'll help you start your walk with God because we feel like it's our responsibility to help you get started walking with God. You can get it from one of our prayer teams. Anybody in the house that needs prayer, you can walk up to one of these prayer teams. Let them know you made that decision. They'll give you the book. We don't need anything from you. We just want to help you. If you need to go quickly at the end of service, just go to the next seven days desk. It's right between the glass doors. Let them know you made that decision to follow Christ. They'll give you the same book and we'll help you get started in your walk with God. We're glad you made that decision. Can we put our hands together and welcome people into God's family? Amen. All right, very last thing this morning before we go, before we conclude, we're just gonna take a moment and honor God by bringing our tithes and our offerings into God's house. And this is the moment where we have the opportunity as pastors and as a staff to simply say this, thank you. Thank you for your generosity. 
Thank you for your faithfulness and giving. We are able to do what we do as a church family because of a faithful God and faithful people. And you guys, every week, every month, man, you just take your place in being generous and putting the work of the ministry here at the Bridge Church as a priority in your life. And so we are thankful for that. If you'd like to give this morning, there are some digital options on the screens. You can choose whatever is most convenient for you. If you're a guest with us today, please know there's never any compulsion or pressure to give. It's a free will offering that we simply give to honor God and say, thank you for being my source and thank you for being my provider. Does anybody say God is good to them? He's been your source and he's been your provider. Amen. So thank you so much for your generosity. Hey, we love you, church. Listen, if there's anybody who came today ready to lead a connect group, find out more about becoming a new connect group leader. We have a connect group leader meeting. It's happening down the hallway through those double doors at the beginning of the 1130 service. So we look forward to seeing you. Maybe you've been thinking about it and you needed someone else to tell you. This is that voice right now saying, hey, step out in faith. Lead a connect group here at the bridge because we would love for you to get involved and help people grow in their faith and build community. We love you, Bridge Church. Have an awesome Sunday and a great week. We'll see you in the house next Sunday morning.